we're going to study tonight several chuvas dealing with some somewhat dubious practices, folk practices, that have a whiff of necromancy about them, magic dealing with the dead. The Torah has a whole lot of prohibitions against idolatry of Odizara, different types of magic, Kishuf in particular. There are several prohibitions against necromancy, that you can't be Ma'onein, you can't be uh, Oven Yedoni, which according to many interpretations have to do with raising spirits to the dead and using the dead as part of magic rituals. Dore Shalamesim, not clear what it means, but it seems to refer to seeking out the dead. So there are, there are many prohibitions in the Torah against magic, against idolatry, against superstition. The Torah says you shouldn't adopt the Darche Amori and the Chukas Hagayim. You're not supposed to follow the, the, the pagan ways. You're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be paying attention to the, the occult and the, sorcer- and the sorceress and so on. Nevertheless, in the history of the Jewish people, there have been a variety of many practices, many minhagim that have become popular among Jews, among, um, among uh, subsections of Jews, that have been problematic in terms of violating all these prohibitions. So we're going to speak tonight about several chuvos that deal with such practices, and we'll see how the postkim approached such, such questions. We'll start with a fairly obscure chuva, an interesting chuva of the Benishchai, Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, in the Rav Pa'al. He was asked about, he was asked by a Chacham that in a certain city, they had a custom that when, when it rained, so going back to Masechus Tanis, we learned in Dafyomi recently, most of the Masechta is about uh, praying for rain and fast days for rain. So there's an ancient tradition of having various intense rituals involving, involving praying and Tanis, Tshuva, hoping that Hashem will give us rain. So in the 19th century, in the time of the Benishchai, there was one city that had a particularly colorful interpretation of these rituals, when, when rain was withheld, they would take five or six cows, five or six cattle, and they would take them to a cemetery where there were tzaddikim there, tzaddikim buried in the cemetery, and they would slaughter the, the cattle on various graves, on the gravestones, the headstones of various graves, on the matzevas, and then they would say various tfilos for rain, and they would say the yugel mido shalrachamim, and they would blow shofar, so all that is pretty uh, standard stuff. All that is stuff we know from Masechistanis, we know from our own uh, rituals on fast days, except, of course, for the slaughtering of the cows. Slaughtering cows in a graveyard, that, uh, that smells bad. That sounds very strange. And that was, uh, so, but, but this, this was the minhag. And then they, would be, then they would return, and they would, give the, they would give the meat from the cows to the poor to, to do tzedakah with it. So the question was, this Chacham asked the Beneshchai, is it permitted to do such a thing? Are you allowed to slaughter these cows in the cemetery? What's the halacha? Ben Eshchai, Rabbi Yosef Chaim, was not at all pleased with this custom. He has a variety of reasons for why this practice is prohibited and problematic, all of them revolving around various forms of the occult and idolatry and so on. He breaks it up into a number of specific technical objections. First couple are from halachas in the laws of Shechita. In Hilcha Shechita and Masechus Chulin, there are halachas about certainly you're not allowed to shecht an animal for the sake of an idol. That's a form of idol worship. That's Avodah Zarah. 
that certainly you can't do. Even cases, there are various cases where even if you do not actually slaughter it as a form of idolatry, if it looks bad, if it, uh, if, if it just looks suspicious, even that, Chazal prohibited as a, for, as a gzera, as a, as a siyag, as a prophylactic against actual avodazar. So the first halacha the Ben Ashkai brings in Hilcha it says that if you shecht for the sake of mountains and hills and the sun and the moon, stars, so the animal doesn't become strictly usher as takrovish avodazar. The halacha is an animal that's offered for a real avodazar like Baal Pa'ar or Asherah or Molech, the animal actually becomes usher. But if, if, your, if your avodazar itself is a feature of the natural world, like the sun or a mountain, then the, the animals, an animal slaughtered in obeisance, obeisance, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, to, uh, to a feature of the natural world does not become usher, because those things are not, uh, don't have the status of avodazar. However, the shechita is puzzle, and that's, obviously you shouldn't be doing the shechita in the first place, certainly, it, it is a form of avodazar, even if the takrovis is not usher. But moreover, the Shulchan Aruch adds, the language of the Rambam, even if you yourself are not intending to worship these things, the sun or the mountain or so on, you're simply doing it as some kind of superstitious ritual, el l'refua, you're doing it for some medicinal reason, someone told you that if you offer uh, a sacrifice, if you offer it, if you slaughter an animal and, and uh, have in mind the sun and the moon, even if you don't, you're not doing it as a, as a form of idolatry, you're just uh, somehow thinking about the sun and hoping that that's going to give you a refua, the Rambam says these are things that are midivrei havai shomrim hagayim of the kachavim. These are these are the nonsense that the idolaters say. Even that that is usher anyway, and the the, the animal becomes usher. And the Ben explains he brings from the sefer zevach tauda b'shem the raz that they say that they say that uh, these are just superstitions that if you slaughter on a certain mountain or a certain place in a midbar, if you slaughter an animal in a certain place. That will give you a refua. It's just some kind of superstitious belief of the of the non-Jews, of the idolaters. That itself is usher. And any ritual that is anchored in a place that involves slaughtering an animal for a superstitious reason in a certain place, that itself is a is a problem. Even though you're not actually worshiping idols, that that that, that smells too much of idolatry. It's exera. If you have some superstitious belief that you will benefit something by slaughtering an animal. For mystic reasons in a certain place, that is usher. It's exera because of real avodazar. Yes. Um, yes. Simcha points out that the name of the sefer zevach toda is a phrase in halal, a phrase in tehillim. Lecha ezbach zevach toda. So the pasuk in the pasuk in parshas tzav also that Torah talks about imal 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 toda karbano. I don't know if the phrase zevach toda appears there. Anyway, but in these farm, one of which is the zevach toda, they bring. Even though this is not really Avodah Zarah, but it's adjacent to Avodah Zarah. Chazal made Zera. Anytime you, you single out a specific place, even if you're not actually worshipping that place, anytime you have a ritual that involves slaughtering an animal in a designated spot, that is Usr, and it looks like you're doing Avodah Zarah, it's, it's too close for comfort to Avodah Zarah, and therefore, even though it's not Avodah Zarah, it is Usr. Says the Ben Ashkai, reason number one, insofar as these people have a ritual which involves taking cows to a cemetery, which is not the place we usually slaughter our cattle. So you're designating a specific place for mystic reasons to slaughter your cattle. That itself is too close to Avodazara, and Midrabanan at least, such a thing as Usr, and the animal becomes Usr. Usr to eat the, the meat that was slaughtered in such a place. Reason number one. Reason number two 
is really quite close to this. It's a variation on this. Reason number two is based on the following sif from the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says, if you shecht not, not for, for the mountain itself, which is not Avadizar, it's just a feature of the natural world, if you shecht uh, and you have in mind that this is for some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, angelic, be- angelic being that's the, the lord of the mountain or the, or the lord of, of something else, if you shecht L'shem Michael, the Malach Michael, the Sarah Gadol, the great, uh, great noble angel, if you shecht L'shem any other type of minor, uh, minor uh, demigod or minor supernatural being, doesn't matter. That is all called Zivche Mesim. That all has the status of Takrovis of Odezara. And it is Asr Bahana, not just Achila. You can't even have any benefit from this. And the Shach explains, again, we're not talking about someone who's actually worshipping these, these uh, demigods, these angelic beings. That's certainly Avodazar. The Shach says, even if you're not doing it, L'Shem Avodazar, you're just doing it for Rafua. You just have a superstition that if you invoke the name of Michael, when you shecht your animal, then you'll get uh, a Rafua. Even that, again, it's also a form of superstition. Not Avodazara, but it's Xera. And it's like Avodazara. It's getting too close for comfort to actually worshipping these Avodazaras. And again, it's Asr. In this case, it's Asr, not just Bahila, it's even Asr Bahana. Once again, he says, since you're... The first point was that, that you're designating a certain geographic place inside the cemetery. That's already a problem. Second point is, once you mention the Tzadikim, the, the deceased Tzadikim, you're associating the names of, uh, the, names of, of, the, of the deceased, the souls of the deceased. That's getting too close to mentioning the name of Michal Sarhagadol mentioning the names of uh, spiritual entities when you shecht, even though, again, you're not worshipping them, you're just trying to get a refuah, that's Asr. Similarly, if you try to do it to get rain, that's Asr Medrabanan. It's, again, it's Xera, it's a form of, it's too close to Avadazar for comfort. So once again, this is prohibited, and once again, the animal becomes Asr, and in this case, it's Asr Bahanan, not just Bahila, you can't derive any benefit from such an animal. Furthermore, he says, this actually may be actual Avodah not just uh, Xera, it's adjacent to Avodah In this case, we, we actually go to a cemetery and bring animals and offer the animals uh, and check the animals in a cemetery. That may actually be Avodah the terrible, terrible Avera of Avodah Why would that be? I don't believe that the Tzadikim buried there are gods. Most of us don't believe that. There are certain uh, fringe people who do about certain Tzadikim, but in general... We don't believe that the deceased Tzadikim are gods in any, in any manner, shape, or form. So what, uh, why would this be Avodah Zarah? So he brings a very provocative, very powerful argument from the Sefer Tvuashar. The Sefer Tvuashar, the, the great classic work on Helcha Shechita, discussing these halachas, these halachas about the problems of shechting in a mystic location, or shechting and invoking the names of uh, Tzadikim, or the names of the Sarim, so he says, he brings a very famous discussion of the Rambam. The Rambam explains that Avodah didn't just come out of nowhere. It wasn't uh, sui generis. It didn't, they didn't just wake up one day and start uh, worshipping trees and the sun. What happened was, initially, people understood, people were monotheistic. They recognized that God was the creator. But they also understood that the celestial beings and other entities are servants and agents of the creator. Rambam explains that the sun, is, the sun is, is, is like a malach, and it, it does the service of God, and so on. So, the peop, so, so people, once they understood that God had his lofty servants, his malachim, his, uh, his other, uh, other uh, high, 
high, uh, high agents, high servants in the world, people thought that by showing them honor and respect and, and, and deferring to them and treating them as sort of like demigods, that itself would be a way of showing honor to God. Yes? Okay, so, the, so, so people began to do that in the generation of Enosh, way back in the beginning of Bereshus, the, the, the next step after monotheism was people began to show respect and to uh, and to and and, and to, uh, to, uh, you know, to 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 pay their respects to these to, the, to these entities, even though they knew they were not God, they knew they were just servants and servants of God, created beings. But that one thing led to another, and they thought that God wanted them to do that. But that was a terrible thing because once they began to do that. That, uh, that degenerated and turned into Avodah Zarah. And that itself is Avodah Zarah. The, the Torah didn't want you to do that. The Torah is, is so concerned that you'll go down the path of forgetting about God and believing in other gods. The Torah told you that offering any kind of respect in a, in a worshipful sense to a created entity is Avodah Zarah, even if you recognize that God is the, the real God and these are just his servants. Nevertheless, if you pay any kind of homage, any kind of worshipful homage to... Uh, to, to created entities, even if you, you, do, you do not consider them to actually be gods, that's still Avodah Zarah, that uh, redirecting wor- worship may only, we have an absolute rule, worship, worship may only be directed toward God, not to any of his servants, even if you accept that they're mere servants, that's still Avodah Zarah. And the Tvoshar argues that has, this idea has Talmudic roots, therefore he says, therefore the Beneshchai says, the, based on the Tvoshar, if a person brings cattle to the graves of tzaddikim, and he says, "Look, I understand. I understand that uh, that 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 tzaddikim are not gods. I understand that they're just uh, creations of God, but they're close to gods. I want to I want to honor God by offering sacrifices to the tzaddikim. He said, in order that they should we should get rain. That itself is avodah showing them respect by sacrificing cows to them. That is avodah He says, even though you recognize they're not God." If you do any kind of worshipful, worshipful ritual, worshipful rituals are reserved for God. You do any kind of worship-like activity toward a created being, even if you are deliberately and consciously aware that these that these beings are not God. That is avodah zarah. The fact that you take the meat afterwards and you give it to tzedakah that doesn't matter. He says, "You can tell me it's really tzedakah. It's not worship. If it was just tzedakah, you would do it at home." He says, "Why would you take it to the cemetery?" What's the point? You just shecht it in your house and bring and bring the bring the mitanim. The fact the fact that you're taking the cows to the cemetery, he says, that indicates that there is an element of worship here, of obeisance, and therefore that is usher. Even if you don't think that the tzaddikim are really God, it doesn't matter. That the first two points he made were that it's just adjacent to avodah it's exera, that it's like avodah Now he's arguing based on the tuashar, such behavior actually may actually be avodah Offering a cow in a cemetery, in some connection to a deceased tzaddik, that's avodah zarah. Even if you don't think the tzaddik himself is God, the fact that you're engaging in a worship-like ritual directed at or toward a tzaddik, that itself is avodah zarah. And besides these geras drabanim, you're dealing with possibly real, honest to goodness avodah zarah now. Yes. Um, well, um, maybe the people. Um, who started it are doing Avodah Zarah, but like the people, um, how are the people after supposed to know that it's like it's Avodah Zarah? That's why he's explaining it. The Ben is explaining that 
even if people don't realize, they have to understand that, that that's the halacha. The halacha is that if you offer a, a carbon directed at anything other than God, even if you're just doing it to show cover to a tzaddik of God, it doesn't matter. Karbanos are reserved for God. Worship, obeisance, these things are reserved for God. You may not direct them toward anything else, even servants of God, those who are close to God, not allowed. Then he makes another argument, and this one has powerful ramifications, important ramifications for other areas of Jewish practice. Most of us, probably, it has never occurred to us to bring cattle to a cemetery to Shecht. But the following discussion is one of tremendous importance that probably is something that all of us, many of us, have encountered. He brings a passage in the Zohar. The Zohar says there was a tradition, even back then, that they would go to cemeteries to pray, not to, not to slaughter cattle, but they would pray at cemeteries. There are various Midrashim, the Bavli that say this, Kalev, at the time of the Miraglim, the Gemara tells us that Kalev went to Hebron to pray at Maris Machpelah to say that please help me to escape the, the terrible uh, plots of the Miraglim. But anyway, so the Tsar says that it was customary to go to uh, it was customary to go to, to graves to pray. How can we do that? You're not allowed to pray to the dead. You're not allowed to, you know, we, you're not allowed to worship the dead. You're not allowed to pray to the dead. So what is this business? The Zohar asks that we go to cemeteries to pray for the to, to, to pray at the at the sites of dead people. How can we do that? So the Zohar says that the, the explanation is that when that when Yisrael do this, Yisrael approach this whole thing differently from the non-Jews. The, the, the Torah is prohibiting the practice that was common among the pagans to pray to the dead. We don't do that, he says. We Jews, when we go to a grave, he says, we're we're, we're coming with tshuva. We're coming to repent. To Hakadosh Baruch Hu. we're focused on serving Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We fast, we do tshuva, and the we fast and do tshuva, but the you're not allowed to direct your request to the tzaddikim. That would be darish Mesim. All you can do is to ask, is to request things from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and the most you can do is to ask the tzaddikim to mispal for you to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. That much the Zara says you can do. You can ask the tzaddikim to help you in your tefillahs. But you cannot in any way expect the tzaddikim to do anything for you. But the most you can do is to simply, uh, is, is, is to simply request their help in, uh, in praying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and that, and that uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will listen to your tefillah bolstered, buttressed by the tefillah of the tzaddikim. Therefore, the Ben says, when it comes to normal, uh, less colorful gravesite services where we have slichas and tachnunim that we do in cemeteries, that's fine. So we were, dis- we were discussing the Zohar. The Zohar says that, the, that, that you're not allowed to pray to tzaddikim, to ask them for help. That would be Darish Lamesim. That's what the non-Jews do. The only thing you're allowed to do is to ask the tzaddikim to help you pray to God. That we'll discuss even that. We'll discuss it's not so simple, but you can, you can pray to tzaddikim, the Zohar says, to ask them to help you pray to God. But nothing more than that. You can't ask, you can't ask for anything from the tzaddikim. Therefore, the Ben says, when it comes to ordinary gravesite rituals, we go to graves, we pray, we say slichos, that's acceptable, he says. That, that's all fine, he says. However, he says, when it comes to, because we interpret it this way, we interpret that we're really praying to Hashem, that Hashem should help us in the, in the merit of the great tzaddikim, and the tzaddikim should help us pray and should ask for rachman for us, that's all okay. But to offer cattle, he says, to, to bring cattle to the cemetery, that doesn't make any sense at all. 
he says uh, that, that that can't be interpreted in line with the Zohar as, as really praying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then why are we bring cattle in, in the cemetery then? Cattle in the cemetery, he says, is not an acceptable form of enlisting the, the merits of the tzaddikim. Cattle in the cemetery sounds more like real Darish Alamesim, Darche Amari, he says, Chukas and that is not acceptable. So the only thing you can do, he says, you can pray in a cemetery. He says you can even ask the you can even ask the deceased to help us pray before God. That you can do, he says, but to but to actually offer animals in a, in a cemetery, that certainly asks him a drabanan, because it looks like Avadazara, to do a dafka in a cemetery, to do a dafka in connection with tzaddikim. It may even be Avadazara mamish, based on the Rambam's interpretation of the, the root of Avadazara, that even, 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 paying, even worshipping and paying homage to God's servants can be Avadazara. And it's Darche Amari, he says, and that the only hetar in a cemetery is to, is to pray in the merit of the tzaddikim, and maybe also to ask the tzaddikim to pray for us, but nothing more than that, to offer them cattle is simply, uh, to offer cattle there is completely possibly says, is usur for a variety of reasons, and you cannot do this. His conclusion is, The conclusion is, he says, that this is Isr Gomer. If they have such a minhag, the minhag has to be stopped. As we point out many times, sometimes when it comes to minhagim, we say, a minog, klal Yisrael, amenim neviim, bnei neviim heim, we have to miyashev a minog, we have to find some justification for it. Other times we say, uh, no, other times we say that, uh, <coughs> that minog is osiyos gehenim, some minogim are just wrong. This minogim, he said, this minog is just wrong, he says, if they have such a minog, it has to be stopped, it has to be, uh, we have to abandon this minog, he says. They want to do tzedakah, he says, that's fine, so shek the cow at home, he says, and give the cow ta'niyim. And uh, you, can't shek, you can't associate the shechita with a tzaddik, he says. You can shek l'shem tzedakah for aniyim. Don't start saying, I'm shekking this in connection with some tzaddik. That, that gets close to Avodah again, he says. And uh, that's all you can do. Nothing else. That's, uh, that, that, that's the only thing that's acceptable, he says. And the truth is, this question of whether a praying at graves, he's not the first one to bring it up. He brings the Zohar, which is an early source. But this is actually a... Uh, a discussion also that goes back uh, that goes back a long time. The, the Bach the Bach brings from Rav Chaim Paltiel, one of the Rishonim, who says that going to cemeteries sounds like Darish al Maybe if you do it with the right kavani, he says for the schus of the mesim, may, maybe that's okay. But people don't really don't have that kavana. It's not okay. The Bach says the minig is to do this, and everyone does this. The, the makar is the zohar that we mentioned. And he says that the, but of course the Bach says only to only to daven in the schus of the tzaddikim. Um, that, 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 that's what you're allowed to do. That the, of course you can't worship the tzaddikim, but you're allowed to daven in the schus of the tzaddikim. The Maril, the Maril brings the minog of going to graves to, in a couple of places, in Elchaz Tishabav and Elchaz Rosh Hashanah. He says there are various reasons. One of the reasons he brings is that since there are tzaddikim buried there, it's a holy place. We often think of a cemetery as an impure place, but it's also a holy place because it has, has tzaddikim there, he says, and it's, it's a good place to daven. However, the Maril says, a famous, a famous phrase, he says, a person should not direct his kavana toward the mesim. Rather, he should direct his kavana toward Hashem. That Hashem should give us rachamim in the schus of the tzaddikim. The Maril seems to be saying that you should not even ask the tzaddikim for help. You should simply pray to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. You shouldn't pray to the dead, even to ask them to intercede for you, the Maril seems to be saying. Rather, you should pray to Hashem and ask Hashem, Hashem, the schus of those who are buried here, 
please, uh, please answer my tefillah. And why go to the cemetery? Because it has more kedusha. But you cannot, the Maril seems to be saying, you should not direct your attention toward the Mesim at all. You should not pray to them, even as intermediaries, you should pray to HaKadosh Baruch Chayadam says this even more strongly. Nizhar ma'od, ye nizhar ma'od. You should be very careful that you should not, that you should not direct your, your focus toward the Mesim. If you do that, that would be Doresh al Mispal Tashem, that he should do chesed to you, b'schus ha-tadikim. Elsewhere he says, the, 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 there's an issue of Doresh al He says, those who go to Kivri Mesim, and they talk to the Mesim, and they tell them their problems, they say, oh, I'm having so much trouble, please help me. That is close to Doresh al And there were those who wanted to prohibit the practice of going to cemeteries outright. But if you want to go, he says, go, but again, Davin Tashem, don't talk to the Mesim, don't tell the Mesim your problems, don't address the Mesim. Rather, go mispal Hashem that Hashem should answer you in the schus of the mason. Many achronim, particularly Litvish achronim, uh, bring this type of language based on the maril that you should not be addressing the mason. You should be focusing on the focusing on focusing on a baruch and asking a baruch to answer you in to, to accept your tefillah in the schus of the tzaddikim who are who are buried there. Benishchai, though, as we saw, based on the Zohar, says that you could ask the tzaddikim to be mispalal on, on your behalf. He, he reiterates this a couple of times. He says that you can be mavakesh mi nefesh tzaddik shet love of baruch That much you could do to ask the nefesh of the tzaddik to intercede on your behalf. And the truth is, the the primagadim, a very interesting primagadim, really says this as well. He says that although the maril says. That, that you're not allowed to direct your, your focus toward the tzaddikim. You have to pray only to Hashem, that Hashem should answer you in the merit of the tzaddikim. However, the Primagadim makes a very curious argument. He says, there is a cedar called Man Elashon, apparently an old cedar that he thought was uh, a reliable source, an authoritative source. In the cedar Man Elashon, there are tfilos, they printed tfilos. I don't know who the author of these tfilos is, but there are printed tfilos there that what, what to say at graves. And mashmaksas from the wording of these tefillos is that we are mavakshim me'es hanefesh sheyolitz tov badenu. We are allowed to direct our, our tefillah toward the mace, not of course as, a, as, as an entity that can grant our, our wishes, but simply as an entity that can be a melitz yosher, as we say for the dead, that can be melitz for us, that can, that, that can intercede, that can advocate for us with God. So it, so it seems that there are basically three possible things a person can do when he goes to a grave. He can ask the dead to help him, to, to grant him life and health and nachas and shaduchim or whatever. That is Oster Gomer, according to all opinions. That's Darish Lamesim, maybe that's about Dazara. To ask, to ask a mace for things that you want, for the mace to give it to you, that is absolutely Oster. Nobody allows that. To, to go daven at a grave in the schus of the mesim, that Hashem should answer you in the schus of the, of the tzaddikim who are buried there, that is Mutter, according to all opinions. That goes back to the, to the Gemara, to the Zohar. Maril, that's brought by all the Achronim, that's definitely Mutter. The middle case, where you ask the mace to intercede on your behalf, where you ask, and you actually address the mace in the second person, so to speak, you, you say, oh, please, great tzaddik so-and-so, my venerable ancestor so-and-so, please daven for me Tashem. That is the Lashon of the Gemara. The Gemara says, Avosai bakshual irachamim. Kalev seemed to ask his ancestors to pray for him. There are other Midrashim that indicate this as well. Nevertheless, the Maril, the Chayadam, the more... I don't know, kind of Litvish tradition, rejects this as well and says you may not directly pray to Mason, even as intermediaries, you may only pray to a Baruch Hu in the Schuss of the Mason. 
However, the Primagadim, the Beneshchai, say that a person is allowed to address the mace and ask the mace to be an intermediary for him. This is a pretty common practice. Many people do this, especially Hasidim, I think, do it more. You will often find people, emotional people, people will, uh, will, will, will beg the mason to please help them and to daven for them and so on. People do this at funerals, certainly, all the time. They say, uh, so, so they, they say he should be a Melis Yosher, sometimes in the third person, sometimes even in the second person. They, they address the mace and they say, please go be a Melis Yosher for us. That's actually, a, that's actually a theologically fraught thing to say. It's not at all clear that that's the right thing to say. Again, it seems to be the minig. It was the minig in the Primagodim's time as well. And some posts can allow it, while other posts can admonish that we do not address Mesim, we only address the Kodesh Baruch Hu, and we, uh, and we ask the Kodesh Baruch Hu to answer us, to, to, to accept our prayers in the schus of the Mesim. Offering cattle in the cemetery, that the Benishchai says is absolutely prohibited for a variety of reasons. I don't know how common this minig was, I don't know if other posts can discuss it or not, but definitely you should uh, think twice before offering cattle in a cemetery. Now, this discussion of whether offering cattle in a cemetery is darchei hamari may uh, bring to mind a perhaps much a, a much better known discussion of darchei hamari and a minhag of Kal Yisrael, and that is the minhag of kaparis. The minhag of kaparis on before Yom Kippur is an ancient minhag. It goes back to the Gaonim, the early Gaonim, the basically the end of the period of Savarayim, close to the Talmud itself. It goes back fifteen hundred years or so. But in the medieval period, the minhag was quite controversial. And the truth is, even in the Gonic period, apparently, there was some controversy about it. The minhag of Kaparis is widespread today, particularly among Ashkenazim. I'm not sure, I'm not sure the, the extent of its popularity among Sardim, but there are more already Paskin for that Ashkenazim, we do it. Nevertheless, as we'll see, there was some fairly lively controversy about it in the time of the, in the time of the Rishonim. Ad Kach. Ad Kach, an interesting thing. Ad Kach, that the, in, in one of the early editions of the Shulchan Aruch, the, the Shulchan Aruch himself, Paskins like to reshow him that Kaparis is problematic and should not be done. Ramah, Paskins, the, Paskins like the Minig of Ashkenazim, that Kaparis is a good Minig. So, in one of the early editions of the Shulchan Aruch, in, uh, in the 16th century, the, the Kaparis in the Shulchan Aruch is one sif, and the title of the sif was, Minog Kaparos Be'erev, be'erev Yom Kippurim, Minog Shel Shtusu. It is a, it is a stupid Minog. That was the title of the simon, that the Minog of Kaparos is a stupid Minog. It's not exactly clear who wrote those titles, whether it was the Shulchan Aruch himself, or, the, or, or other, other Chachamim or editors, but Kaparos was a very controversial Minog, and the, the controversy, to a large extent, was about this, was about the question of, of Darchei Amari. There were other issues also, but since when do we do uh, mystic rituals involving animals? And Karbanas is something the Torah commands. You offer a carbon. Nobody's offering a carbon. If you do, you have real problems also, that the animals are bahana, and depending on who you're offering the carbon to, it can be avodizara. So if it's not a carbon, what are you doing? If it's, if it's not avodizara and it's not a carbon, we don't do karbanas bismanazev. So what are you doing? Is it, it, it sounds like a superstition. Waving chickens, and some, they use animals sometimes. What is going on? It's, what is kaparis? So just like the Benishchai has raises an issue with uh, with shechting cows, shechting cattle in a cemetery, so in the time of the Gonim already, in the time of the Rishonim, this was an issue. What is kaparis? Is, is that darchei hamari? How are you allowed to do this? And as we said, the, the Shulchan Aruch's title was minog shtusu. It's shtus, or even worse than shtus. It's even darchei hamari, according to some opinions. 
This question came up already again. It came up, as I said, already in the time of the Gaonim. There's a tshuva printed in the Shari Tshuva for the Gaonim. It's brought by the Rush, Maseches Yoma, Rab Sheshnagon. He says that the minog was that we shecht an Erev Yom Kippur chickens. I don't understand the minog, he says. Uh, it's, uh, what kind of minog is this? That Why do you use a chicken? Why not an animal? What's special about chickens? So the Bach explains, regarding this tshuva, the Bach explains that if there's no reason for the minog, he says, then it's not just harmless. It's, uh, it's not just harmless. If there's no reason for it, it's darche amari, it's nichosh. Halacha does not allow superstition. If you can't come up with a reason, he says, we don't just say it's a charming, picturesque custom. Minhagim that have no reasons are superstitions are aster. You can't, you can't, we can't do superstitions. So how is Kaparis legitimate? There's a, there's a story they tell about, the, about Rav Salvechik. I think I've quoted it before. That they asked him, I think Rav Shechter maybe tells it in Nefesh Arav, that they, they brings a version of it. They, they asked Rav Shechter, they asked Rav Salvechik that in uh, Oriental mar- martial arts or karate or Japanese martial arts, so the so the so the, the combatants bow to each other before they fight. So they asked Rav Salvechik, is this is this mutter, is this Havodazar? So there are there are two versions, I think, of the story. In one version, Rav Salvechik said, it's not Havodazar. So it's not usher, but it's stupid. In another version of the story, Rav Salvechik says, it's not avodah but it's stupid. So it's usher. It's usher to be stupid. So there are different versions of whether Rav Salvechik held that being stupid was just unfortunate but not usher, or was actually... Now, we can argue why, whether bowing to an adversary is really stupid or not, but putting aside that specific question, there, there are conflicting versions as to whether... Uh, as to whether Rosalvechik held being stupid itself is Aster, or is just stupid but not Aster. There's a similar there's a similar machlokus I found with regard to uh, alternative medicine. Rabbi Moshe Tenler brings a tshuva from his father-in-law. He says was dictated to him by his father-in-law regarding homeopathy. That Ramosha says that Ramosha says according to Rav Tenler, Ramosha said that it's Aster because the Torah commands us to be rational and to be logical and to uh, and to uh, accept, and accept science and reason and so on, and by refusing to be rational, by refusing to, uh, to, to behave like a rational person, you're, 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 you're flouting the will of the Torah, and that's Usher. On the other hand, Rav Asher Weiss has a, has a tshuva in his Milchas Asher. He was asked about homeopathy or other types of alternative medicine. Are they Mutra or Asher? So he says, from what he understands, they're stupid, he says, they're nonsense. But it's not usher to be stupid, he says. There's no usher. It's, it's, it's not actually of a desire or darkly a murray. So just because it's stupid, just because it's nonsense, there's no usher in, 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 in being, uh, in, in, in partaking of nonsense. So anyway, so the, we, we can go back and forth on this question of whether anything which is stupid is automatically uh, darkly a murray or not. But certainly sometimes if we have a, a, a ritual, a, a religious or quasi-religious ritual that has no source in halacha and has no rational explanation, and certainly, postmen are going to be concerned about Darchei Amari, just as the Benishchai was concerned about slaughtering the cattle in the cemetery. So the Bach explains that's what the Gonim were concerned about. In the time of the Gonim, they were worried about this. If we can't come up with a rational explanation for the Minig of Kaparis, then it would smack of Darchei Amari, and we should prohibit it. So the Gonim said, not a problem. The Minig of Kaparis is justifiable. We can, we, can, we can explain why there's such a Minig. They say, he says, that the, the Minig of Kaparis has two reasons for it, he says. The first reason is, the first reason is, he says, that 
why, the question is why they use specifically chickens. If we can't come up with a reason for that, that sounds very bad. Chickens are very common, he says. Chickens are, they're, they're all over the place. They're, 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 they're in people's houses. They're just more accessible than animals. So it's not some kind of religious concern for chickens. It's just because chickens are convenient. Um, what about uh, another reason, he says, because chickens were called in the Talmud Gever, which they share a name with person. So chickens linguistically have a connection to person. So that's why, that's why we use chickens. Why, the minute, why we do the minute in the first place, even if we understand why it's chickens, why anything, what, what's, the, what, what's the rationale for it? The Miri explains that it's like a carbon, just like some explain that it's not, it's not actually a carbon, and we ought to be not to eat the animal afterward, but it's just like carbon. It's, it's a, the Miri explains rationalistically, it's a symbolic thing that we're supposed to remember, that we're supposed to make us think that we have sinned and we have fallen short, and really we deserve to be slaughtered and punished and destroyed. But instead, Hashem has tremendous rachmanus and tremendous love for us, and he allows us instead to slaughter the chicken and do tshuva, and he'll and, and slaughter the, the sheep and the cow for the carbon, and he'll accept us back. So too, the kaparas is supposed to be a symbolic uh, acknowledgement that we've sinned and that we deserve, we deserve uh, terrible punishments. But Hashem, in his great mercy, will, will allow us to do tshuva and accept our tshuva. Instead, we'll give the, we'll give the cow, we'll give the chicken to tzedakah, and we'll remember that we need to do better in the future. Akapanim, the Gaonim, already raised the question that Kaparas seems to have aspects of superstition, but they explained that the details at least are not superstitious, there, there are actually reasons for the details, and therefore they felt the Minig was legitimate, they explained how it was done. So in the time of the Gaonim, for hundreds of years apparently, Kaparas was a, Kaparas was a well-known Minig. In the medieval period, we find some of the Sephardic Rishonim in particular were very much opposed to the Minig. The Ashkenazic Rishonim were, were accepted, like the Rush, but the Sephardic Rishonim, the Ramban, the Rashba, they were very opposed to Kaparas. The Rashba has a tshuva also. In the tshuva Rashba, he was asked about Kaparas. The Rashba's correspondent was actually worried about not nichush, not superstition. The Rashba's correspondent was worried about that it might be Osir as a carbon. If, you designate, if, you call, if, you make, if you're treating it like a carbon, it might become Osir. It's like shochet l'shem chataso. If you shecht an animal l'shem a carbon, it can become aser. The Rashba said he's not worried about that. That that actually is not a problem. He says that you're worried about the iser carbon. He says it's. Uh, he says he's not worried about it. Everyone knows he's not shechting l'shem carbon. There's no danger of confusion. In Hilchas Pesach, for example, we say you're not supposed to say baser zela Pesach. You're not supposed to call when we say matzazu marazu. Pesach, you're not supposed to pick up the Pesach, it shouldn't look like you're shechting and making a carbon Pesach, but in general, everyone knows that these things are not actual carbonos, so you shouldn't call your kaparas a carbon, but in general, the Rashba says, in a normal case, you say, zeh kaparasi, zeh khalifasi, zeh tamurasi, it's not actually going to become asur, because it's clear, it's, it's clearly understood, it's not actually a carbon. However, the Rashba says, I'm not worried about carbon, what I'm worried about is superstition, what I'm worried about is nichush, he says. He says that the minog is widespread, he says, in, in his time, it was widespread as well, among the Sephardim as well, apparently, he says. They do other things, he says. They, when a child was born, they would do a kind of kaparis, they would shak the tarnagol, and they would uh, do things like, they would hang up the head with, uh, with feathers and garlic, and he says other types of idiocies, havalam harbe, other types of nonsense that look to me like darchi amori, he says. And I was, very, I was very disturbed by this. The Chachti al Zaharbe, he says, I had a very hard time with this, he says. I, I, I tried to eradicate this, he says. He says, there was great uh, chesed from Hashem. 
the people listened to me and I eradicated these customs because uh, they're, they're gone, nobody does them anymore. This is not what the Am Chacham Benavon should be doing, he says, and I, I, was, I, I was successful in eliminating such uh, problematic customs as Kaparas from our city. He says, now I heard, he says, I did hear from Anashim Hagunim, from uh, trustworthy uh, Erlich people, he says, that in Ashkenaz, in Germany, people who are with us, who came from Ashkenaz, who learned in our base Midrash, he says, that Kol Rabbanei Artsamos in Cain, the Rabbanim of Ashkenaz, uh, embraced the Minog wholeheartedly, on Erevim Kippur, and they shacked for kaparas, geese, and chickens. He says, also, uh, I heard they asked Rav Haigon, another version of the Tshuva Hagonim, and he said that was the Minog, so nevertheless, the remarkable thing, despite the fact that he says we have tshuvas going back to the Gaonim that uh, testify to this minog, nevertheless, the Rashba is so convinced that the minog is, is against Torah, is wrong, im kolzem I nevertheless campaigned against the minog. I don't care, he says, if the Gaonim were, if he heard the Gaonim approved of it, it's wrong, he says, it's against Torah, and therefore I will not allow kaparis. Again, regarding the question of the the question of carbon, he says, he's not worried about carbon. Everyone knows, he says, it's not a carbon. It's just divrei havai ba'alma. It's just nonsense, he says. So therefore, I'm not worried about the isra carbon, he says. But in general, he says, it, it, it is a question of, uh, it is a problem of darchei hamori, he says. And therefore, he does, he did not allow it. And this is the source, the Rashba, the Ramban. This is the source of the, of the, of the Shulchan Aruch's ruling. Even if the Shulchan Aruch didn't write that title of Minak Shdosu, the Shulchan Aruch on Kaparas consists of exactly uh, one sentence. Mashinogin lasos kapara be'erev yom kipurim lishchot tarnigal al kol ben zachar to shech the chicken, a male chicken for every male child. Vlomer lav psukim to say psukim yesh lom noah haminak. Mechaber simply accepts the view of the Rashba. We should uh, we should we should abandon this minog. We should disallow this minog. It's a wrong minhag, the Rashba says, and the, and the Shulchan Aruch says, to the Shulchan Aruch, Paskins, that Kaparis is wrong. You shouldn't do it. The Ramah says, following the Ashkenazim, that the Gaonim brought this, and it's our minhag, and we do it, and the Ramah goes into detail of how you do it, and of course, the Ashkenazic poskim all bring the, the details, the rules, and today also, it is, Kaparis is still a widespread minhag. It has become, certainly in more modern circles, it has become less common to use live chickens, Again, in more Haredi circles, it's still very common. In Lakewood and other places, they still do use uh, hundreds, thousands of chickens. But uh, the way we live today, chickens are... We saw in the Gaonim, the reason they used to use chickens was they, they, they were so common. Chickens are not so common, as I've told you in the, in the past. I did actually raise chickens for a month or so. But nevertheless, most of us don't have chickens in our backyard. We're more squeamish. We're, uh, but any, whatever it is... So the, the pendulum perhaps is swinging, has swung back or away from uh, using actual, actual, kapara, actual chickens for kaparas. But again, this was an ancient machlokas going back seven, eight hundred years. And even to the time of the Gaonim, there were those who argued that just as the Ben Ishchai was very skeptical about shechting cattle in a, in a cemetery because there doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for it. So it's a question of Darche Amari and Dari Shalamesim, maybe even about Zara. So too, there were, there were Gedoli Harishonim who felt that Kaparas similarly was a problem, I don't know about Avodah but a problem of being Darish al a problem of Darche Amari and superstition, and therefore there were Rishonim who were against it, but unlike the cattle, the, the Minig of Kaparas did have widespread traction for hundreds of years. Jews did do Kaparas with chickens. It was a very widespread Minig, as attested to by the Achronim, particularly in Ashkenaz, and the, the arguments that were made in defense of Kaparas outweighed the concerns of the of the Rashman the Ramban of Darchi Amari of superstition.